Hallelujah. Well, before we move on to the message, I just um, want us to continue to worship Jesus. And I'd like, it, like us to do that by just reflecting on this psalm in Psalm 96. You know, a lot of times when we're singing and we're worshiping the Lord, we're reflecting on all the things that he's done for us. But sometimes the best way to worship is to just worship him. <laughs> is to just tell him how good he is, right? And, and, to, and this is what it tells us in Psalm 96. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. If there's ever a day we need to declare his glory among the nations, it's when things are tumultuous. It's when things are uncertain. And tell about his marvelous works among all the people. For the Lord, he is great and greatly to be praised. So can we just do that right now? However way you want to do that, just give him the glory. Maybe lift your hands or your voice or in some way just, Lord, we are grateful for you. We give you glory. You are great and greatly to be praised in the beauty of your holiness among the nations in the midst of turmoil and war and rumors of war and difficulty. Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord and we thank you above all else, above all of our circumstances. You are enthroned on high and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. It's so good to get our minds off ourselves and onto the Lord, isn't it? And that's really kind of the, the simple truth of the gospel. That's what Jesus did. When he came to earth, he took his eyes off of himself, and he put his eyes upon us and the Father. And um, even though he had the fullness of God, the Bible says he emptied himself. And that's what we are called to do. This morning, as we continue on this series, um, just privileged to be with you guys again. And I know that um, we lost an hour of sleep, but that is okay because we're going to get energized today. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to get filled today. And for those that are watching online, you're going to get filled today as well. Amen? Amen. We th <laughs> That's right. Let's check the oil in the engine. That's right. Time for an oil change for some folks, right? Um, hey, a lot has changed over these last several months, uh, and, and that is no exception within the church. The days seem to be getting faster, the culture becoming something that's very different. I mean, I can't believe, you know, I, I know that when... Our kids were school age. There were times where we thought, man, what's going on in the schools? But now, it's like longing for those good old days, right? I mean, things are just changing quickly and quickly and more quickly. The church, unfortunately, in a lot of people's eyes, is a lot less relevant today than it was. And we can blame that on the culture. Or we can say, all right, here we are. This is the reality. What do we need to do about that? Help us, Lord. Now, for me personally, um, many of you that know a little bit of my story, I went from pastoring to working in a, a role uh, with pastors. And, 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 and when I pulled away from 
not, not so much being part of the local church, but leading a local church, it caused me to see things differently than I did when my, mostly my task was to develop the community, the, the body of Christ. And now I, then I was pulled away and I saw the church from a different perspective. You ever do that in your own life? It's like, you know, you see yourself and your family a certain way, and then someone enters the picture and they see it differently, right? I mean, it's, um, it's a good thing to do. Sometimes we got to get a reality check because we become comfortable. We get in a groove, right? Don't we? We, we kind of get in that groove. Sometimes the Lord shakes us up. He moves us somewhere. Uh, something happens in our life, and it causes us to see things differently, and that's what happened with me, um, and it caused me to rethink the church, not to reject the church, not to deconstruct it, not to um, abandon it, but to rethink it and to ask, are, is, it, is what we're doing working? When I say working, I'm talking about working to influence people that are outside the church. Did you know that the church is the only organization that exists for those outside its membership? See, now, now if you go to Costco, you're a member there, and that's what it exists for, your membership. But we don't exist for just us. We exist for those that are not yet, those yet to come, not yet here, those yet to come. And so uh, um, today I want to talk about how do we do that practically? How do we remain faithful and consistent to the Word and yet have an influence outside of the membership, outside of the community, which is a blessing. We need each other. This is not like one or the other. This is both end. So, so several years ago, I think it was five years ago, Lisa and I had a, um, an opportunity to travel for, to a place that we had longed to go to for many years. We went to Venice, Italy. Anyone ever been to Venice? Oh, man, save up, okay. save up your money. You got to go at least one time in your lifetime. We went to Venice, and um, we'd never been there before, and once we got there, we realized how unique that city was. For one thing, the city is built on water. The entire city is built on water, and um, there's nothing like it, but it's also a city of basilicas, cathedrals, everywhere. In fact, there are 139 churches on an area of 160 square miles. That's a, think about that. So there's about 256,000 people live there. Um, and when I was there, I was asking about the church, because uh, they're all over the place. I think I was talking to, we, we, we took a gondola ride. You know, and we're there, and I was talking to the, to the gondola driver or rider or rower, whatever he's called, the guy. <laughs> and he said, oh, the churches, those are, those are like historics, historical. Those are historical. Um, they're, people look at them as the past, an old way of spirituality, but no longer relevant. They're beautiful. They're visited. They are antiquities, but they're not relevant anymore. Venice is what we would call a very post-Christian society. In other words, Christianity at one point, different, you know, different type of Christianity perhaps, a lot of Catholicism, but there was also others. But at one point it was flourishing, but now it is post-Christian. 
and it has been for many generations. It's also a good picture of the direction that we're heading as a nation. America is becoming this. In fact, the most, the quickest growing population of believers of some sort in America is a group of people called the nuns. Now, not nuns as in N-U-N, but nuns as, as in N-O-N-E-S. No religious affiliation. That's the largest population that's growing. Post-Christian is really more the norm than the exception. For those of us that are around neighbors or talking to people or outside in our work, I mean, there may be, in this part of the country, there's a lot of churches. I mean, you drive down some of the roads, it's church, 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 church. But either there, some of, you may have some big, big churches that are growing, but it's usually the rest that aren't. So back to Venice. It was lovely. The food was incredible. The sights were amazing. But the thing that stood out to me the most were the bridges. And I think we have a picture here of a bridge, if we can get the uh, slides on. I don't know if they're working this morning. I hope they are, because we got a lot of fun pictures of bridges. How are we doing? Yes, thumbs up? No, no slides today. Okay. Well, picture a bridge in Venice in your mind. <laughs> the bridges were beautiful, um, and they were everywhere. It's the way you get around, because you think about it, it's a city built on water. So canals everywhere, and in, is 118 small islands. Venice, that's what it is. 118 little tiny islands spanned by 400 bridges. They actually almost like hold the place together is what they do. And, and they're, just, they're just cute. They're small. You walk over them because that's the other thing. There's no vehicles there. Well, they may have some scooters, some Vespas and things like that. And then they have the gondolas that go through the canals and a couple of um, uh, ferries that take you through. But it's all, everything else is walking. So you walk over these bridges everywhere. Interestingly, um, today I want to bring a word that I think will be challenging to us in a day when it seems like the culture is pulling apart. When all around us there's just a lot of differences and a lot of trying to hold things together. And what is the Lord calling us? Well, I think that God is calling us to be the bridge to get people from where they are to the other side. That each one of us, individually, are part of the process in bringing people from one side to the next, in some ways holding people even together again. So bridges come in lots of shapes and sizes. There are bridges that span huge expanses that cross over small creeks, bridges made of iron, steel, bridges made of stone or wood, bridges people fish off, bridges people bungee jump off. I wouldn't do that, but... So whether you, I mean, just, I mean, picture in your mind, bridges around here, right? The beautiful, what is it called? The Skyway Bridge? Yeah, the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. That is an incredible bridge. We lived in Maryland, and we would take, a, to get to the beach, just, just imagine, we lived in a place where it took us 
three hours drive to get to the beach. And we did it sometimes for a day trip because we longed to get to the ocean. But there was a bridge there called the Annapolis Bay Bridge. And it was like an older bridge. And it's like people get really crazy on it. But it was this huge bridge, this huge span. But they all serve, whatever size they come in, whatever they look like, they all serve the same purpose, to get people from where they are to the other side. That's what the purpose of a bridge is. Some of you may not like going over bridges. I have some friends that they get frightened over bridges, that they have superstitions, like they have to lift their feet up when they're going over the bridge or something crazy like that or... You know, they, they, don't, they just don't like the fact that some of those long, they sway a little bit, you know. And so they're afraid of that. They could be, or others are like, no big deal. But it's likely, if you're going to want to get over to the other side, you have to overcome your fear. It's either that or take a boat. <laughs> or swim. <laughs> Which a boat, by the way, is kind of like a bridge. Because that's what it does, get you from one side to the next. It's the original bridge. <laughs> Before someone gets on a bridge, they got to want to get over. Some people are like, you know, I'm just good where I'm at. You've heard that in the culture, right? How, how are you doing? You know, how you, do, do, you, do you know that God loves you and he's got a plan for you? No, no, I'm kind of good where I'm at. They don't want to get over. They don't want to go to the other side. But if you and I are called to be the bridge, perhaps... One of the best things we can do is help others want to get there. So let's look at a scripture in Colossians chapter 4, and it's verse 5 and 6. Okay, we got that. Good. So is it the slides that didn't work? Oh, dang. Okay. So here's what it says. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Live wisely among those who are not believers. I'm reading it again. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this community um, the, of where the Colossians lived. It was an interesting place. There was a church established, but there was also all kinds of pagan influence that was taking place around. So just like the early, you know, the early church, it wasn't like the switch went on and you know, there was Christianity and, and all the other stuff just kind of went away. No, it was the early church was in the middle of... A mess. They were in the middle of paganism and, and false religion and idolatry and adultery and, and, and even sacrifices that were going on. And here they were. And the, in this particular case, this pagan influence was creeping in to the church. And so Paul was concerned. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this this book, to, this letter, he was concerned about some of the theories that, about Jesus that were producing false doctrine. For instance, they were mixing Judaism, astrology, magic. They were falling into disbelief that Jesus is more like an angel 
than he was the Son of God who came to them. And the bottom line is, like every one of the early churches, they were surrounded by people who didn't believe in Jesus. They were alive in a culture that wasn't Christian. We're in good company, folks. We're, we're not the first ones. This has always been the case. It's always been the case. Oh, yeah, you brought me this stool. Thanks. I'm going to sit down. Um, it's always been the case that God has called us to live in a place around people who don't believe like us. I know that that's kind of like contrary and almost in some cases for some people scary. But we were never meant to isolate ourselves so far away from the very people that we once were. We were never called to do that. We were called to be a bridge to help others get to the other side. And so, it's nothing new. So in addition to speaking to them about the purity of their faith, Paul spoke to that. He also he taught them uh, how to take the truth of Jesus outside the church. And you know, here's the thing that Paul knew. Doctrine wouldn't do it. Right belief, teaching people this is the way to believe, that's, that's, that wasn't the answer to it. He, he knew that they needed fellowship and they needed community, but he also knew that that couldn't necessarily accomplish the task of reaching those outside. So instead of giving them a message and us a message of avoiding the culture, separating from the culture, he said, live wisely among those who are not believers. Live wisely among those who are believers, not believers. We need wisdom to live among those who are not believers. It's just this, it's like a little prescription. You know, when you go to the doctor and they say, okay, here's the things you got to do. You got to eat right, you got to exercise, and you got to get a lot of good sleep. That's your prescription. This is like a little prescription for us on how to be the bridge to help people get from one side to the next, to come to Jesus. By the way, they are on different places on the bridge. I think that, um, I think it was J Pastor Jake that talked about it um, where he said there are people that are different seasons in their journey, right? They may be at minus 10 right now. And you get them to minus 8, you did pretty good. You know, we, we think we want to just, we want to be the one that just does the deal right away, you know. In fact, that, let me just tell you, that's not living wisely. If you think that your job is in 10 minutes or less to make sure that you've turned everything around in their life and now they're serving Jesus and they're a follower. God, if God does that, that's awesome. But they still need to be discipled, so there's still a long ways to go, Right? So this short little description on how to be the bridge, and I know it's easier said than done, because we said someone has to have the desire first to get to the other side. So here's the reason why I think we are a little frightened about getting into the lives of those who are non-believers. First of all, we're gonna think, we think that folks are going to reject us. And guess what? You're right. They will. So here's the way to handle that fear. 
get over it. They're going to. <laughs> they will. I mean, you've been in, the, in a situation where you've gone to someone and they're like, nah, not interested. I, um, Lisa and I have some friends that are here from out of town. Um, they just bought a, a little vacation home uh, in Largo. And um, they're from New Hampshire. But they are friends of ours from way back when our kids were little. When we first moved to New Hampshire, which would have been 26 years ago, we moved into this development and uh, we were the first house, and they were like the second or third. And um, one day we decided we were going to, our small little church was going to go to our neighborhood, knock on doors, and invite people to church. Maybe I've told you this story before, but if not, it's relevant because they're here in town now. So, so I knocked on the door, and um, hey, I'm Peter, my wife Lisa, we just moved in here, we're your new neighbors, um, and by the way, we just started a new church, and we would love to invite you. He said, meh, not interested. I said, what? He goes, no, not all set. That's a big New England saying. All set, if you ever heard, if you've ever been in New England, that's it. All set. I remember one time I was at a restaurant and someone asked me, if I, the, the server asked me if I want something, and I said, no, all set. And they were like, all, what is it? All set? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't need anything. So that's what he said, all set. I said, okay. Um, well, you know, if you ever did want to come, no, nope, no thanks. In fact, he said, probably be a good idea if you didn't ask me and talk to me about that again. I said, wow. That wasn't the uh, kind of welcome that I would expect from a neighbor. But then I thought about it, and I thought, you know, he was, that was not on his radar at all. He's probably thinking, we just barely met his neighbors, and the first thing you want to do is kiss on the first date. It's like, how about getting to know me? How about, let's have coffee together. Let's, you know, right? <laughs> Slow down, yeah, right. <laughs> the truth is, it's now 26 years later, and I learned something. You see, he didn't want to get to the other side. Now, his wife, Karen... They were having some issues we didn't know about, but Lisa and Karen developed a friendship, and they started to talk and pray together, and man, before long, she came to know Jesus. Brian was still like, meh, not interested. <laughs> but then we started to, our little life group we had in our house started to grow, and we needed another place to meet, and Karen offered their house, which is where Brian lives, <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian let us come. He sat on the other side of the room when we were in there, and as soon as it was snack time, there he was with us. <laughs> Years, months, struggles in Brian's life brought him about to reach out to me. Our friendship now had grown in spite of the fact that he wasn't interested in coming to church, and he wanted to go to the other side. Today, they not only are following Jesus, but they lead uh, a bunch of uh, recovery groups in the church that we used to be a part of, and 
our leaders and just <laughs> they also own this incredible farm stand that has become mission outpost really where people come in and they pray with them and I mean it's all changed but folks will reject us the other reason that it's hard for us is sometimes we believe that they may have already heard it and they're not interested well they may have but Sometimes we, we're the ones that just plant the seed. Sometimes we're the one that waters, but God's the one who has the increase. We don't want to be pushy. I get that. But maybe the biggest thing is sometimes we're just too busy to even think about it. And we miss the opportunity. Remember what it says here? It says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of it. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that you're there to close the deal. That may mean you're there to put a little water on it. To just maybe ask them how they're doing. Talked about asking questions, right? Asking them questions. So here's a couple of things I want to kind of help us with when we think about this idea of being a bridge to get them to the other side. So the first is to live wisely among those who are not believers. So first of all, we got to ask ourselves, are we living among non-believers? Do we have non-believers in our life, in other words? If our entire lives are consumed by church activities, meeting with the church people, I, I had this one, uh, um, she was our church secretary, Maggie Perez. And they actually were, were founders of the help begin the church that we started years ago. And she was now the secretary, and she said, um, I'm not going to be able to keep this job anymore. I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, you're preaching a lot about reaching people, but my whole life is consumed by everything that's happening in the church. I'm running this. I'm coming in day, day, you know, day to day, being the secretary. You've got us leading this group in the church and that. And she said, so we're doing all this inward, but I feel a conviction from your preaching that we got to do things outward. <laughs> and it caused me to have a wake-up call that we can, if we're not careful, be doing everything inwardly. Only doing business. Sometimes people say, you know, I'm only going to hire a Christian businessman or a businesswoman. Well, I mean... I know that you think that Christians are going to be the most honorable and trustworthy, and, but there's also a time when the Lord may want us to hire and be in touch with someone who isn't. I mean, can you imagine going into a restaurant? I'm only going to get served by the Christians, so um, you have any Christian waiters or waitresses here? No, you could be a witness making the most of our living among. Jesus prayed this prayer. I want you to hear it. John 17. He said this to the Father. It's known as the high priestly prayer. He said this to the Father. Father, I'm no longer going to be in the world, but they are in the world. He says they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he said this. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. And then he said this, as you sent me, I am sending them. 
I want, to se- I want you to send them the same way as you sent me. So here's a couple of things. He says, we're not of the world. I think these are on your notes. Not of the world, but we are in the world. Not of it, but we are in it. And then he says, we are protected in the world, and we are sent to those in the world. We are among and with and around. So not of the world, but in the world. Protected in the world, sent to those in the world. You remember when Israel was captive in Babylon? You can read it in Jeremiah because we all know that great verse that says that I know the plans I have for you. Good plans to prosper you, right? And Yet, do you know when he said that? It was when Israel was captive in Babylon. They were in this world. They were surrounded by evil there. And, and you know what the Lord told them at that? He says, get married, build houses, occupy, because this is where we are. In order for us to be the bridge, we need to be in those in-between places. Think about that. Bridges are these in-between things. And God has called us to be in-between. When we're there, we're going to increase in wisdom on how we live, or live around them. We need the wisdom of the Lord. I read about this, and you may not agree with this, and I'm not sure if I even agree with it, but I think it's a good thing to hear. One group of Christians that live among the Muslims in different parts of the world. And they identify themselves as Muslims who follow Al-Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. So they go to the mosque for daily prayers. They recite the Islamic confession while inserting their own words to Jesus rather than to Muhammad. Why do they do this? to be part of a community that otherwise wouldn't even listen to them speak about Jesus. Now again, that may be way too far. But we have not gone far enough, let's just face it. That may be like, wow, that's like, ah. But we have got to be careful that we don't, we want to fulfill the prayer of Jesus to the Father. I'm keeping them, not taking them out of the world, I'm keeping them there. Second thing, so the first thing was live wisely among those who are not believers. The second, realize your part in bringing people over. So what are the opportunities that are in front of you? Do you see them? Do you look for them? The other day, um, we ha- we've had some work done on our house, and this young kid who is young, and he's got this roofing business, and he did our roof, and he came back to do some repairs, and we're just talking, and started out about a conversation about how I get my grass so green. And, you know, I could have just gone there. I could have just gone on the green grass thing, and yet there was something in me that I needed to ask him a little bit about himself. How did you get this business so young? You know, you, you really have a, a lot going here, and And then he asked me about my work and what I've done, and we started talking about the church. Well, guess what? He's left the church. 
He had a background in the church, was hurt by the church, but there's something stirring in him that knows Jesus is calling him back. And they, he and his wife have their first little baby now, and so um, I invited him here. I said, you know, I'd love for you, love for you to come, and well, tell me about it. Yeah, I want, we want to come sometime, and so, but it became because I saw an opportunity in front of me, right? And, and, and making it, understanding it comes naturally, not forced. Other times, our part in bringing people over is having supernatural insight. That's the beauty of having the Holy Spirit, is He tells us things we couldn't know ourselves, and in essence, uses that to really understand where people's hearts are. So the Lord will use us in ways like that. But we need to start with seeing every situation as an opportunity for friendship, an opportunity for conversation. Right? I mean, somebody once said to me, um, we, instead of counting how many people we prayed for that came to Christ, maybe we need to count how many people we just had a conversation with. Jesus said this, love your neighbors as yourself. I kind of have a feeling that he actually meant our actual literal neighbors. See, we think of neighbors. Oh, yeah, you know, the world, the neighbors. No, what about the person that's actually next door to you or behind you or across the street? Lisa and I, uh, we were invited to a neighborhood gathering on Friday night, they had a food truck in our neighborhood, and we thought, oh, this is awesome, we get to meet our neighbors, and we did, and it was like all these neighbors, and you know what the first thing we did when we got home, is we wrote down names, so we could remember who they are, you ever done that, here's this little, little um, I used to do this with pastors, and it would be like super convicting for all of us as pastors, we said, okay, do a little map of your neighborhood, and tell me the name of the person, the, fam- the, the family that lives to your left, to your right, across the street and behind you. And do you know that most pastors couldn't do that? And I'm like, I couldn't do it even initially. And then I realized, Jesus said, love your neighbors. Realize your part in bringing people over is to know who they are. Because then you can pray for them. You can talk to them. You can ask them questions. You can listen to them. The third thing, season with salt. Season with salt, which is from the verse about letting your conversation being gracious and attractive. Gracious, think about that. Gracious and attractive. One version says we should let our conversation be seasoned with salt. So that's why I wrote that. Because when you season things with salt, they taste better. My wife loves, she puts too much salt on stuff. I mean, I'm like, man, those fries have too much. You know, she'll take the, the, when they bring the chips and the salsa, she takes salt and puts it all over the chips. I'm like, no, man, we don't need any more salt. (laughs) She loves that salt. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you're like, looking at the menu, but then the server comes by with someone else's food, and you're like, okay, I don't really need the menu. What, what is that? 
what's that? I want that. <laughs> That's the kind of attractiveness and the graciousness. I, I, I want what that is. The idea of being gracious is a lost art. I know for me, I mean, that is one area my wife has helped me big time with. Because if I'm not careful, I get in a zone where it's all about me. And I have to catch myself and repent of that, where I think my rights come first. Where are those places in your life where you can maybe inadvertently forget your witness? Get caught up in your personal rights. Maybe it's waiting too long at the counter for something or being in traffic or with a coworker, with your spouse or with a neighbor that maybe they're not keeping things up the way you think or whatever. The Word tells us, 1 Peter 2, 3, we can taste that the Lord is gracious to us. So we also need to be gracious to others. Gracious speech isn't judgmental, it's not against others, it's for them, it's attractive, they want it. And it's so funny because everything has salt these days, there's salt on ice cream now, right? Sea salt caramel, I love it, my favorite, as long as it's not too much salt. (laughs) It adds flavor, it spices things up a bit. Every recipe has salt and that's what we're called to do as well. And then the fourth and the final thing. Remember this. One bridge doesn't fit all. You cannot put the Skyway Bridge over a canal. Doesn't work that way. This, is, this really is this part of having the right response for each one. So remember what the verse said? It says, You will have the right response for each one or everyone. In other words, the way we respond to one person is going to be different than we respond to others. If we just make it one size fits all, it's like thinking that whatever the bridge is, it's going to work for any particular situation. It will not. It will not. Bridge sizes are different, just like the way we share Christ with others is different for every situation. Last week, Pastor Jake said that God determines the exact, from Acts, God determines the exact times and places for us to be alive. That's refreshing. That means, you know, you've ever have, you ever have that tendency, oh man, I wish I was alive during the time of Jesus with the disciples. Guess what? You weren't supposed to be. But why now? This is like the hardest time. God knew that, which is why we're here. We're the right people for the right time to be around the people that he's put around us. But in order for anyone to go over that bridge, they want to get there, first of all. But then here's another thing. They've got to feel safe. They've got to feel safe to go over those bridges. We need to be the bridge to help people get from where they are to the other side and understand that he leads us by his spirit to be that. So can I, let me ask, are you okay with being a bridge? Because here's the thing, bridges are walked on. But bridges serve a purpose for others. They don't exist for themselves. 
Oh, look at this beautiful bridge. There it is. Well, why is it there? For others. And bridges span the gaps. They are in that in-between place. Interesting thing about bridges in the Bible is there aren't any. Well, not like today's. The Lord did part the Red Sea. That was kind of a bridge (laughs) on dry land. But there is a really incredible example in Scripture of the bridge called the cross. Jesus goes from the other side of creation in order to become a bridge that brings us from where we are to where God is. He reconciles us. Listen to how it says it in Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Through the cross, Jesus became our bridge to God, and now it's our turn to be the bridge to God for others. Imagine if we were to approach each day making this verse in Colossians our prayer. Lord, help me. Let's pray that together. Lord, help me live wisely among those who are not believers. Help us, Lord, each individually live wisely among those who are not believers. Father, help us to make the most of every opportunity. That doesn't mean closing the deal. That doesn't mean getting it all done. But what our opportunity is to see it and to make the most of it for that moment. And Lord, let our conversation be gracious. A lot of grace, Lord. A lot of grace. Lord, we need a lot of grace and attractive. Lord, it's something they want. Seasoned with salt. It's attractive. It's delicious to them, Lord. And Lord, help it so that we will have the right response for everyone. Not one size fits all, but the right response for each one, Lord God. That's our heart, Lord. Help us to do this this week, Lord, to take advantage of the Word of God in us, the Gospel lived out in us this week having the right response for those who ask about the hope that is within us. Thank you, Lord, that you were a bridge for us, and we get to go and do likewise for others. In Jesus' name we pray.